night. Have a chat with some folks afterwards. But come on in and sit down. Come on, you're cutting into my time. Good morning to all of you. Welcome. I'm grateful that you're here. Those of you that are here in the sanctuary and those of you joining us online, we're so grateful that you're part of our family. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but one of the things I've noticed over the years is that at the beginning of the year, people do this interesting thing called making a New Year's resolution. Do any of you do that? Did any of you guys make New Year's resolutions? You know, you know, it might be something like uh, they're going to start working out. And for those regulars at the Y, we watch those people come. I mean, they come in droves January 1st. They're there. And by February 1st, where did they go? Or, or maybe they decide they're, they're going to go on a diet. You know, diets are good, right? How, how many of you need a diet? Yeah, yeah. Diets are good, and that works about as well as working out at the Y. Uh, or, or maybe you're more spiritual than me. Maybe you set the goal of you're going to recite the Lord's Prayer every day. Or maybe you said, I'm going to read my Bible for one hour a day while I drink my cup of coffee. And it better be a big cup of coffee. Uh, and honestly, by February, you're switching over to the one-minute-a-day devotion just because... It just didn't work for you. You got so far behind. Or maybe you're going to put your emphasis upon family and your personal life. And I, I want to just say to you, all of those are laudable pursuits. But all too often, they produce little fruit. At least little lasting fruit in our lives. We mean well, and perhaps we even start well. But our follow-through or our uh, perseverance is so often lacking. But the truth that we find in God's Word is that we are, in fact, called to grow. We're called to change, to be conformed to God's image. Listen to these three verses. Just three verses. I think I'm going to put them up there for you. But three verses, two of them from Paul and one of them from Peter. And you can just jot down the reference. But Romans 8.29, Paul says this, For whom he, God, foreknew, he, God, also predestined, he, in other words, he predetermined, that we should be conformed to the image of His Son. So God's purpose is that we would become more and more like Jesus. And then he says in Ephesians 4.15, Speaking in the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. He says we, we're supposed to grow up. And then Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, As newborn babes, Desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. So growth, change, ought to be a regular part of all of our lives. Yet, one of the things we discover as we look at changing our own lives, I have things that I want to see changed in me. I'm getting a little bit older and I don't have all that much time left and I'm saying, God, I'd like to see these things change before I go home. What we discover in life is that life and change is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It takes time and it takes care. It takes effort on our part. And so often, though, what I have discovered is that these resolutions that we make are based upon what I call the comparison game. 
It's things that we see in other people that we wish we had for ourselves. And so we make those resolutions so that I can become more like them. Uh, And then when we see somebody that has something that we don't have, we go and we ask them, what did you do? And what we want, what we really want, if we're honest, is we want the secret formula. You you remember the secret formula? How no one knew what that secret formula was? What is that from? That wasn't Big Mac. What was it? Some... Special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, I don't know. Either way, there was this secret that we wanted and they come to us and they say, there was no secret. It just took time and effort and persistence in our lives. We say, no, 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 no. Give me a pill for that. Because a pill cures everything. When I first started working out, I thought, give me the secret pill and it would work. I'm going to have the surgery. I'm going to have gastric bypass, and that'll help me. Well, the truth is, none of that was really the intent or the purpose that God had for my life. But you think about it. You see somebody. Let's let's say you see somebody in this room. Uh, Let's pick on somebody. Uh, I'm looking around. You see R.D. Okay, R.D. is sitting right here. Yeah, okay. You see R.D., and you you see R.D., and you say, man, that guy, he just seems to have it all together. Have you noticed? He seems so spiritual. The way he talks, the way he comports himself, the way he relates to people. And did you watch him during worship? I mean, this is like an all-out, in-your-face worshiper. And you go to R.D. and you say, R.D., tell me, what did you do that caused you to be such a spiritual man of God? And then R.D. says, well, it's interesting. I didn't do anything really special. About 15 years ago, I made a decision that I believe began a transformation in my life to this very day. You say, what was it, Artie? Tell me, what was it? And he says, well, I made the decision that I would take just 15 minutes a day and read my Bible. Just 15 minutes. And so what I would do is I would open my Bible the first thing in the morning, and I would say a quick prayer, as quick as this, Father, make your word come alive to me. And then I would read for 15 minutes, sometimes a minute more, sometimes a minute less, but right around 15 minutes. And do you know what I discovered? I discovered that that year I read through the entire Bible by just reading it for 15 minutes a day. And I've been doing it for 15 years ever since. And he says, I think that has become the biggest change point in my life. There's no secret to it. It's just following through on what I believe God spoke to me. Um, I mentioned a moment ago that I started working out at the Y. Uh, and it was quite an adventure. I can remember, I can still remember walking in the doors of the YMCA and seeing guys in the fitness room who were ripped. I mean, these guys were big, they were strong, their arms were bigger than my legs. I mean, it was just like these guys were big. And I walked in the door and I thought, man, I want to look like that. And I had a problem though. I looked more like Arnold Ziffel than I looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I was embarrassed, honestly. When I'm walking around on that track up there and my stomach is bouncing up and hitting me in the face, I was embarrassed. But I can remember, I went and talked to a guy. His name was Ray. He became a friend. But I went and I talked to Ray and I said, "Uh, how did you get to be what you are? Now, I already had two assumptions. My assumption was he had always looked like this. He had always been athletic and physically fit. And I also assumed that he probably worked out about an hour or two every single day of the week without a break. 
And to my shock, he told me that when he began this adventure in the same way that I did, he started right out about the weight that I did, about 300 pounds. And he set a goal for himself. And if you guys know Ray at all, you know that that's not what he looks like now. But when Ray started out, he said, I set a goal for myself. He said, my goal was I want to run one mile just to kind of get myself in shape and lose some weight. I want to run one mile. He said, uh, by the way, up at the Y, that's 15 times around the track is one mile. So he said, I started running, and he said, by the time I got done with three laps, three laps, I collapsed on the floor, and I thought I was going to die. And he says, I was ready to give up, but I made the decision that I wouldn't. So he said, what I did instead is I started walking one lap and running one lap, walking one lap and running one lap, and I did that again and again until I could walk one lap and run Two laps. And he said, I just kept increasing it. Today, he's run several half marathons, several marathons, Tough Mudders, and the Spartans. And to look at him, you would never believe it. But it started with walking one lap and running one lap. Change takes time. Um, I have a theme for all that we're doing throughout these next few weeks. It's called Little Things Can Make a Big Difference. Little Things can make a big difference. So that's what we're going to look at over these next several weeks. Uh, years ago, I was in a men's meeting, and Jerry Saliba was the man who was sharing. And I can remember Jerry Saliba asking us men, and some of you guys were there. Jerry said, how many of you guys pray with your wives every day? And a lot of guys raised their hands, and Jerry said, okay, now I want you guys to close your eyes and please tell the truth. Put your hands down. How many of you guys really, honestly, and truly pray with your wife every day? And again, I, I'm, a, I'm a peeker. I looked around, and I think there was maybe three hands went up in the whole room, and I wasn't one of them. I mean, I knew my wife prayed, and I prayed individually, but we didn't pray together. But I felt convicted in my own heart, and I can remember going home and talking to Karen and saying, you know, this is right. It's awkward because, you know, when you pray, you can't hide any secrets because you're talking to the God who knows everything. So if you're going to pray, you're going to pray. Well, we made the decision we would pray together. And since that time, we have prayed together every single night. And we're not pros at this. Like, you know, we're not like Tom and Sharon who spend hours out at their fire, out in their backyard praying together. We're not like that. We pray quickly. We pray in bed at night before we go to sleep. But we're praying together, and it has made a difference. I mean, there have been nights when we've even been upset with each other. And we still prayed. And I know you guys are shocked that we could ever be upset with each other, but come on, you guys have been too. Uh, we, we would be upset, but how in the world can you pray to the living God who sacrificed everything out of love for us and then pray and stay mad? Somewhere something has to give. So we would pray together and it's made a big change in our lives. What I want to do today over these next several weeks is give you um, what I'm going to call one small thing that I think could, in time, help to change your life. One small thing that can make a big difference. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to look at a couple of verses. Psalm 27.4 is the first. If you have your phones with you, it's quicker that way, do that. Psalm 27.4, uh, it's David. I want to take an Old Testament verse and then a New Testament verse. And these are actually the two verses that started my thoughts for this message and this short series that I'm going to do for the next few weeks. Psalm 27.4, David said this. Psalm 27.4. One thing, say one thing. one 
one thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David said, I'm going after one thing. I'm not going after a bunch of things. I'm not looking at a myriad of things I want. I want one thing that I might dwell in God's house forever and behold His presence. Now, turn to the New Testament. Philippians 3.13. Philippians 3.13. This is where Paul gives you his one thing. He says this, Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing. Say one thing. One thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, and I reach forward, I press forward to those things which are ahead. Each of them, David in the Old Testament and Paul in the New Testament, practice this principle of one thing. So what one thing could you do that could possibly change your life? That could change your marriage, your family? Maybe change some things inside of you. You do understand that when David said the words, let God arise and His enemies be scattered, in the context of that verse, the enemies he was talking about were the enemies inside, not the enemies outside. And every one of us have things that need to change inside if we're actually going to become more and more like Jesus. Now would you turn to Zechariah chapter 4. It's an Old Testament prophet towards the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 4. Uh, the context is very simply this. Zechariah was an Old Testament prophet who was called during the time of what's called the Restoration Period. You understand that God's people, the nation of Israel, had wandered far from God and God gave them their way. God didn't judge them as much as they judged themselves. God said, fine, if you don't want anything to do with me, I'll let you have your own way. They went their own way and it ended up with them being raided by another country called Babylon. When Babylon came in, it destroyed their capital city, Jerusalem, and then it took the temple of God, the place where God dwelled, the place where God put His name. It took that temple. Babylon took the temple and it destroyed it. It raised it to the ground. In fact, history tells us that the Babylonians smashed it so small, they picked up the pebbles, the sand, and they carted it all over the Babylonian Empire so that Israel could never have a place to meet with God again. And they were sent away to a far country called Babylon. But in 537 B.C., a man by the name of Zerubbabel, commanded by the king at that time, brought a remnant of God's people back to Jerusalem with the intent that they would rebuild the city and they would rebuild the temple of God. Things started off well. They had some initial hope. They had some initial energy. Things started off really well, but over time... They became discouraged, they faced obstacles, and they quit working for between 15 and 18 years. So there they are in their capital city, the city set on a hill, the city that God placed His name upon, that held the presence of God, and they quit working. They gave up because they faced resistance and struggles and challenges. And so God sends a prophet by the name of Zechariah to the governor Zerubbabel, and he gives him a prophetic word from the Lord. It's this. It's in verse 6. Zechariah 4.6. So he answered and said to me, 
This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So there's no doubt about this. God's saying, this is to you, Zerubbabel. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God made it clear that his promise to restore his people to their chosen land and to his place of dwelling was still good. But they had faced resistance. He was, going to dest- he was going to restore them. But it wouldn't happen because they drew up new blueprints or because they had a new building plan. It wasn't going to happen in their own might or their own good intentions or their own resolutions. It was going to happen because God was going to put His stamp upon it. God was going to lend His strength and His power to it. Zechariah 4.7 says this, Who are you, O great mountain? Again, the mountain represents this thing that stands in your face and resists accomplishing what God had called you. You tried all the latest fads and techniques, but it didn't work. And it stands there and it mocks you. Well, God in turn faces that mountain and He mocks the mountain. He says, Who are you, O great mountain, that you think you could stand against Me? Look at it. It's in verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone. The capstone is the final stone that you would put in place on a building that would declare, this is now done. God says you're going to bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace over it. In other words, grace isn't just unmerited favor. Grace is the active work of God's Spirit in the human life. I was in a Vertical Cafe uh, the other day meeting with uh, someone And they had a song playing that I'd never heard before. It says this, I see the mountain while you see the mountain move. And as soon as I heard it, I thought, what a great line. We look at the mountain and God says, I'm watching the mountain move out of the way. In fact, Jesus later on in the New Testament came down off of a mountain called the Mount of Transfiguration, faced with a man who could not find his son delivered of demons, And he says, this mountain too shall be moved. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you could speak to this mountain and it will be picked up and cast into the sea. So God is basically saying to us, if you want to see change in your life, it's not just because you set some resolution for yourself. It's got to be God who initiates it and God who sustains and strengthens it. Verse 10, he says this, Who has despised the day of small things? God was calling them to lay just one stone. Just one stone. And you say, well, one stone isn't going to make a difference. But you can't lay stone number two until you first laid stone number one. He says, he who began a good work in you is going to complete it. But it starts with a beginning, and it might seem small to you, but he says, don't despise those small things. You start by believing God's promise and God's process, and you do it even though it seems small to you, God gets involved, and when God gets involved, there's nothing that's impossible. We all have to start somewhere. When we look at people around us, and we see they, you know, I picked on RD, but you look at RD and you say, man, I wish I could be like him. What you're looking at, in effect, are his highlight reels. You're seeing RD at his best. You don't see RD when he's got the low reels. You only see him at the best. All of us have struggles. All of us have challenges. But if we want to change, We have to start somewhere, and we start with what God says. You think about David in the Old Testament, and you think, I want to be like David and be able to battle Goliath. But David didn't start with Goliath. David started with just tending his father's sheep. 
And then a bear came out of the woods and he wrestled the bear and beat the bear and then a lion and he beat the lion. Then he was ready to face Goliath. Or you think about Daniel and you say, I want to be like Daniel. I want to have so much peace in the midst of the storm that even if I'm thrown in the lion's den, it won't matter. But Daniel didn't start in the lion's den. He started by simply praying to God three times a day. Just three times a day, he would just kneel in prayer and say a quick prayer to God to let him know you're in charge of my life and I can trust you. Uh, Before our recent vacation, I uh, bought a book for my Kindle uh, called uh, Wooden on Leadership. I don't know if any of you ever read it. It's about a man by the name of John Wooden, who was perhaps one of the greatest basketball coaches that ever served. He was uh, the coach of UCLA at the time. He took UCLA to 10 national championships. Seven of them were consecutive. It had never been done before or since. He was just like an amazing coach. But do you know what Coach Wooden had his players do in the very first practice? It wasn't doing sprints, wind sprints. It wasn't doing uh, layups. It wasn't doing free throws. He had them sit on the floor and put their socks on correctly. Every first practice started with learning how to put your socks on. And once you graduated from that, he would then have you put your shoes on and learn how to tie them correctly. His approach was this, and he would say this to his players again. If we take care of the small things God puts in front of us, God will take care of the big things like winning games. So take care of the things that God has put in your hand first. And don't think they're too small to be concerned with. If God says to be concerned with them, do those things. What I want to do over these next weeks is look at three different things. Just three simple things that I believe can have transformative power in our lives. And they're going to be so simple that when you hear them, you're going to be tempted to say, duh. But my question is, are you doing it? Are you actually practicing this as a way of life, allowing God to change you? So this principle of one thing is found all throughout the Bible. I've given you David and Paul, but remember, there was another time when Jesus came into a city called Bethany, and there he came to a house of a friend, and there there were two sisters and a brother. And the one sister was busy laboring. Her name was Martha. She was busy cooking up a storm. And she went to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you please speak to my sister Mary who won't help me? And Jesus said, Martha, you're worried about so many things. But Mary has chosen the one thing, the better thing. In another point in time, Jesus was talking to a man that we now call the rich young ruler. And he's talking about how to have an assurance of eternal life. And they're talking about all kinds of different things. And finally, Jesus realizes this man has an agenda. And he says to this man, if you want eternal life, you need to take all that you have, sell it, and give it away to the poor. He realized this man had an an agenda. And so Jesus said, you're lacking one thing. Get rid of what you have because it's holding you prisoner. So what is the one thing that you could do in your life that would make a difference? Today's just an introduction to it, but I want to challenge you even today with one thing. Just one thing that I want to challenge you. Some of you will likely have noticed over the years that some churches, like I know my sister's church in Geneseo does this regularly, some churches actually at the beginning of the year pray and ask God for one word, one simple word that they can have as their word that God emphasizes throughout that whole year. Like it might have been, um, I was trying to remember what they had. It was like something like, uh, kill the hate in 2008. So they made it rhyme. Or uh, it was something like, let us shine in 09. 
So they had a word that they believed God gave them. Well, what I'm asking you to do today, I'm asking you over today and this week to pray and ask God to give you one word for the rest of 2021. We're about the halfway mark. What is one word that God could give you that could set the, the tenor of the rest of this year for you? Now, maybe for you, uh, you've recognized that 2020 and 2021 have been like the year from hell. It's been hard. It's been challenging. You have felt a level of isolation and separation. I was just talking to someone recently who, who said that over this time with COVID, it has literally separated their own birth family so that people won't talk with one another. They won't even visit with one another over issues of this. So maybe that's what it's been like for you. But what is one thing that God could speak to you that could change the course of 2021? Maybe it's already been hard for you. Maybe 2021 hasn't been any better than 2020. What is one thing that God could speak to your heart, to your mind, that would make a difference? Maybe for you it's the word strengthen. And you feel like, I don't have any strength. Uh, somebody said to me even recently, I feel as weak as a kitten. Or maybe for you it's the word health. Maybe this has been for you a year in which you've known little health, little good health anyways, and you, you've lost hope of it ever changing. But maybe God wants to speak a word to you about health. Or maybe it would be practical, something like diet or working out or whatever. But what is the one word that God might speak to you? Maybe it's the word budget. And God says, that's something I want you to get in order. And if you get that in order, just like the tithe comes first, you get that in order, then the rest of your life will fall in order. But what is the one word that God will speak to you. And I know that there are those of you here today that are going to say, oh, Pastor Chris, this is just a, a gadget that you're using to try to engage people. Yeah, I am. But it's not just a gadget. I honestly think that there are some things that we need to do in life and we need to do them so consistently until they begin to make transform transformative change in our lives. I know it's been that way for me. These last couple of years, God has done a couple of things. I've already shared a couple of them. Like one of the things I do every single night before I go to sleep, every night, I mean, I pray with my wife, and then once we say amen and we love you, good night, all that kind of stuff is done. Then I close my eyes and I take time and I say the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm. But I don't just say it. I go over it. I think about what it means and what it means to me. And I say it every single night. And I have found it brought such a level of peace to my heart that I desperately needed in this time. So what's one word that God might give to you that you need to stick on your refrigerator or maybe put on your mirror or put it next to you somehow and repeat it to yourself over and over and again until you actually begin to believe what God has said to you. The rebuilding of the temple had stalled for 15 to 18 years. But once Zechariah gave Zerubbabel that word, it was done within a couple of months. The work was done because of a word from God. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 30, 21. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. That word from the Lord behind you saying, this is the way, you go. It's a preceding word from the Lord. The word comes from behind you, but it precedes and says, this is the way, follow me. And that's what I'm asking you to do. For some of it, for some of us, it might be simply grabbing a word and repeating it again and again and again. For others of us, it's maybe a verse that God gives you and you memorize that verse 
And every single day you say, I have verses that I have memorized that I repeat regularly as I am walking outside. So if you see my lips moving, I'm either praying or I'm repeating, reciting my verses. Those verses are, in my heart, important. I'm asking you to ask God. So what I'd like you to do right now is just bow your heads for a second. And just open your heart. I know that you could say, well, yeah, we all do that kind of stuff. We've done it many times. I'm asking you to do it now. Just ask God, what might he say to you? And maybe right this second, God doesn't say it, but you're going to take this week and you're going to be praying and ask God. Jesus said at one occasion, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in few things or one thing. I will make you ruler over many. What is one thing that could change your life? What's the one thing that God is speaking to you that would make a difference? And let's be faithful to that one word. One thing. For you, it might be the word family. And that's going to be something you need to emphasize for the rest of this year. For you, it might be healing. Or hope. Or maybe you've lost your joy. And God wants to bring some of it back. What is the one word God's given to you that could make a difference in your life for the rest of 2021? Maybe it'll go on longer, but I'm, I just felt to the Lord to say, what could we do that would change the rest of this year? We're at the halfway mark. What could we do to change the rest of it? Father, I'm asking you to quicken our hearts and minds. Quicken mine. Lord, I... I I join with my friends, my brothers and sisters, and I say, I want this too, Father. I want to change. I want to grow. I want to be more like you. <coughs> so I'm asking you, Father, to plant a word in my heart that would bring about lasting change. And Lord, even if it seems small, I'll be faithful to it. And I ask you to help all of us to be. We commit, Father, that our heart is open to the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't want it just to be in our minds. We want it also to be in our hearts. We want to fully embrace it. That's our desire, Father. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. At the break, hopefully you received uh, a communion cup, did you? If you didn't, could you raise your hand and we'll get you one? If you didn't get one, could you just raise your hand? Or did everybody get them? Okay, we have a few, guys. Uh, anybody else? One of the things that I have learned over the years in working with the uh, sheriff's committee and the local police is that the nature of the crime determines the nature of the penalty. In other words, the significance or the worth of the crime imposes upon itself the worth of the penalty or the sentence. We might say it this way. We spend the amount of money on something that we think it's worth. Well, I think you need to understand that God apparently thought you were worth so much that he would give his very life for you. That's how much you're worth. And we tend to easily say negative things about ourselves. 
we're critical of ourselves. Uh, I know even growing up, one of the common things that I would do personally is I would do something that maybe wasn't the best, and I would say, what, a, what an idiot I am. When am I ever going to learn? But then there came a point in time when I had to begin to think about, wait a minute, God doesn't think of me that way. God doesn't speak of me that way. What gives me the right to speak to me that way? Uh, when I was little, I grew up in a, a large family. Uh, we had uh, 13 children in my family and then my mom and dad. Uh, so it was a big family. And as you can imagine, in any family of that size, there was sometimes some fighting, squabbling, arguing that would go on. And we would fight with each other. I mean, I was the only boy in the family for the longest time until my younger brother finally came along. And he was no use at the time because he was a baby. Um, but uh, it was me against all of these girls. And I can tell you, my dad would say to me again and again, if you ever hit a girl, that's the end. But it wasn't fair because he never told them that. And so, they, you know, it was, just, it was tough. And we would argue and we'd fight, but get this, this is the truth. We had what we call the mutual defense treaty. We could argue and we could fight with each other, but you let somebody outside of the family come against us, and that would be the end of them. You'd get the whole family on your tail. Well, I want to suggest to you that God has your back in ways that you could never imagine. God cares so much about you. He says, I will never leave you. Never, never. So those days when you wake up and you feel far from God, you feel like you haven't talked to him in a long time, he is still right there. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He says you're of inestimable worth to him. So much so that he shed his own blood for you. Uh, I just realized, I don't have one. Could somebody bring me one? Pete, could you bring me up one of the communion things? Okay. <laughs> Apparently, Jed's the one who's been hoarding these. <laughs> you hold in your hands a communion cup, and the top portion of it, if you pull it back, just the plastic portion a little bit, there's a wafer underneath. The Scripture says, the night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took bread. And when He had broken this bread, He blessed it and He said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. Would you take it and just kind of break it in half, just like that, just easily, as a remembrance of the fact that Jesus allowed his body to be horribly beaten, bruised, and broken for you. His brokenness that we could know wholeness. Amen. Would you take a bit? And then if you pull off the tin portion or the little foil portion at the top, this juice represents the shed blood of Christ. Um, one of the things that I love is when my grandkids see me, like Izzy did it today as she was walking in on the sidewalk coming in, she saw me open the door because I saw her coming up the sidewalk. As soon as she saw me, her eyes lit up. They light up. Or I can remember one time, and I, I can't remember if I was away on a missions trip or if Tabor and I were away on vacation, but we came back and we went to Jen and Pete's house. And when I walked in the door, Caleb, who at that time was probably a, you know, just a little guy, two, maybe three years old, he was so excited to see me 
he was honestly, he was running around in circles on the kitchen floor, just running, running, running. And then he'd jump up into my arm and hug my neck so tight. And then he'd get down and run again, and then he'd do it again. You understand that when Moses says, the Lord caused his face to shine upon you, that's what he means. God's face lights up when he sees you. God doesn't just love you because he has to love you because he's love. God actually likes you. He appreciates you. He values you so much that he would shed his blood for you. The scripture says in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant written in my blood. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Would you take the cup and partake with me? Now, you're going to take this week, you're going to pray, and you're going to say, God, what one word would you give me for the rest of 2021, for July all the way through December? What one word would you give me that could make a major dramatic transformation in my life? It might start small, it might even seem small, but God, I want to change. I want to see life differently. I want to see it from your perspective. Would you stand with me? And as we did even just recently, as Pastor John was preaching, I say to you again, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. God richly bless you. Amen. Go in peace.